Hello, this is Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. Welcome to the 100th edition of Track by Track. This week's album is an excellent choice. It's Behaviour by the Pet Shop Boys. Hello. Hello. You're listening to the 100th episode of Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. And Dan, was that a dream? Was that an impressionist? That was not Alistair McGowan or Rory Bremner. That was the actual Neil Tennant opening our 100th episode. And what a fitting way to start our 100, uh, 99 Track by Tracks or 99 albums so far. And we're going to do the 100th today. And we've got quite a few surprises up our sleeve as well haven't we will uh have we well yeah, we have yes we have yes, yes we, we have, have. We have. and what a journey it's been so far will i know and i must point out straight from the off uh this is the 100th album we've talked about but don't go writing in because we have recorded more than 100 episodes because we've done specials we've had our self-isolation specials and we've also got the new music drop on the go now at the weekend We've got our bit on the side at the weekend. Oh, which is always a treat. Oh, so we're going straight in with the smut, are we? I thought we might be have a bit of a classy affair today. We've got some lovely nibbles on the table and a, a spot of fizz. Uh, we've got, uh, we're going to be bubbling our way through this episode. And can I say, absolutely very generous of you to bring around that bottle of carver. That's a real treat. Well, lo- uh, well, I just assumed you'd be providing something sparkling, but sparkling perry, probably. And uh, we've got some volivants out. We've got some uh, cheesy puffs as well. Uh, But that's enough about our small invited audience that are with us for recording today. And on the turntable this week, we've got Behaviour by Pet Shop Boys. Uh, Dan, it is tradition now that when we are celebrating a milestone, whether it be an anniversary uh, or an episodic anniversary... Uh, we talk about our favourites and where it all started. Exactly. And just as a reminder, maybe this is your first episode of Track by Track. Maybe this is your 100th. Maybe you've dipped in and out. But um, it all started with the Pet Shop Boys and uh, an episode on their album Super back in 2018. And the whole premise of this podcast, the whole reason we started this is because on Spotify, we used to love the Track by Track run-throughs of Pet Shop Boys albums more often than not with David Walliams, super fan of Pet Shop Boys and there wasn't one for Super. So we thought, well, let's record that. And then we've also done another, you know, 90-odd albums along the way, including uh, some of Pet Shop Boys, as we said before. We've done Yes. We've done Super. We've done Yes. We've done Electric. We've done... We've done The Closer to Heaven. Yes. Soundtrack. Done Please. Uh, and there's many more to come, so don't you worry about that. And I think, uh, obviously, they released a new album this year with Hotspots back at the start of the year. I'd love to talk about that at some point soon-ish. Yeah. I mean, we do love to celebrate the albums of the year at the end of the year. Will, I wouldn't be surprised if that creeps its way somewhere in that top five. Like a dog at a disco. Oh, heaven. 
Uh, and if you have, I'd lo- we'd love to hear from you if you have listened to all 99 episodes so far and this is your 100th today. That's quite a commitment. Uh, and, we, and we didn't necessarily think you, everyone would listen to every episode. The whole raison d'etre uh, of this podcast um, might mean that you, you have a bit of a pick and mix, actually. I do like a pick and mix. A bit of a, a small, small... Smorgasbord. Yeah. Mm. But as we say at the beginning, we do like to take a brilliant pop album. It's all about pop. And I do feel that Pet Shop Boys are that kind of the center of our world. And then it kind of goes out like a massive spider chart or something like that. And along the way, we've had the albums that you've brought to the table that I'd never listened to before. And the albums that I brought to the table that you'd never heard before. Um, and I think just that we're both such big fans of pop music, lots of synth music, lots of dance music that we just find, we would just take great pleasure in listening to them track by track and talking about them. Uh, and hopefully you've taken some oral pleasure from us over the last however many months and, and 99, 100 episodes now as well. And actually, uh, we hope you enjoy oral pleasure from us at the weekend as well now with the new music drop. Yeah, and if you want uh, more oral pleasure from us, then do please get in touch. Uh, at Track by Track UK. Now, we should say that Pet Shop Boys Behaviour turns 30 this year. We're not celebrating the anniversary quite yet, but a little later this year, this album turns 30. So what a milestone and what an amazing album from the lads. And when we refer to the lads, we also include producer for this album, the brilliant Harold Faltermeyer. Harold Faltermeyer, what an absolute legend. So not only known for composing the Axel F theme for Beverly Hills Cop. Ding, ding. I bet Harold hates that crazy frog so much. I was thinking about Clock and the version that they did. Did Clock do a version? Yeah. Don't say if we're lucky, Will, we haven't got time. No, there's absolutely no time in the episode today. So as well as that, he also composed the Top Gun anthem for the Top Gun film. Um, but he also produced, of course, this entire Behaviour album. So rather than me giving you all the details and the background, let's hear a little bit from Harold himself. Behaviour was one of my milestones. It was a real, very unique production. And... We did turn every stone to make that what it came out to be at the end. For example, we had um, about 300 samples of tambourines. And for every song, we went through all those 300 samples and tried to find the best one. Chris and Neil were a great team in the studio and um, I look back in joy to these moments at um, my studio here in Munich. And um, whomever I talk to, it's still something very special and it is great to hear that behavior after more than 30 years is still a milestone of pop culture. And I'm very proud that I was part of that. Uh, yes, and if you don't know who the Pet Shop Boys are, get out, leave, do not listen to this podcast any further. Well, maybe we should invite them in to educate them now. Yeah, we could do that, actually. So the Pet Shop Boys are uh, Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe uh, from London. 
Uh, they've been together since 1981, a fantastic British uh, electro synth pop duo. They are still going strong. Just like I said, this year they've released a new album. They released a new single just a few months ago, the phenomenal I Don't Wanna. Mm. Uh, and it's still going strong. So, you know, just this year, they've um, got another musical on the go featuring Francis Barber. They've got another, uh, they had My Beautiful Laundrette uh, uh, happening as well. They released an EP last year as well, which was very political. Uh, and more to come. And we were supposed to have the Dream World Greatest Hits Tour this year. Sadly, that's pushed back to next year, as most gigs and tours have been this year. And also, we went to see them. They went to be playing Sunday night on the other stage at Glastonbury this year. Fingers crossed, Will, we get to see them there next year. Oh. I've actually got goosebumps just thinking about seeing Pet Shop Boys at Glastonbury. Me too. Mm, it's ah, and, and I'm, I'm very lucky that I did see them there in 2010. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I... You know, I would not complain about seeing them there again. And we'd love to hear, um, not just if you've listened to all 100 episodes, but any any highlights, any favourites. Uh, again, at Track by Track UK, let us know. Dan, any favourite episodes stick out for you? Oh, now, I'll be honest with the listeners, we didn't prepare for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, some standouts for me. I, I'm a big fan of Christmas, aren't I? So I do love it when we get festive. We've shared our Secret Santa gifts live on a pre-recorded episode. Do always love the Christmas episodes, particularly when we talked about Sia's puppies are forever. Uh, that was fun. And actually, more recently, um, I really enjoyed the Sister Sisters Nightwork episode and particularly the fact that Jake Shears messaged us to say, uh, thanks for reminding me of the album. And he listened to it for the first time in forever and he really loved it. And that was just like almost just another... Another pat on the back. Uh, and uh, Any for you, Will? <laughs> for me, I think uh, we've referenced it a few times recently, but the Glastonbury episode that we did at Glastonbury, <laughs> which was shambolically wonderful, which yeah. I think really summed up Glastonbury and our experience there as well. Um, but also the special episodes we've done. I loved um, talking about Eurovision and talking about Eurovision and it not happening this year as mm. well. That was a... A special one. I really enjoyed the first Scissors Sisters episode we did uh, with Robert Gershenson. Yep. Um, where is he now? Uh, Torn Stubbs, you can find him on. He's not part of the small group we've got here today. But uh, Did it, you invite him? I thought you was doing that. No, I definitely text you to say, invite Rob. Uh, I think you thought I was talking about... Uh, Robert Downey Jr., who we've got here in the front row. <laughs> Iron Man himself is in the studio today. Hey, Rob. Hello. So we've got lots to talk about today because as ever with our Petra Boys episodes, it's not just about the 10 tracks of the album. There's a lot more going on. So just a quick bit on the album before we get stuck in because there's lots to talk about with the album today. So Behaviour is the fourth album uh, by the Petra Boys. It was released in 1990 in October, uh, uh, followed by a further listening uh, version of the album which came along in 2001 which featured a whole lot more and also uh, remastered versions of the original tracks themselves uh, so this is a another seminal Pet Shop Boys album but they probably all are aren't they I think they all are and I think the beauty with them is there's there's lots of studio albums now we've spoken about quite a few before as we said and I'm going to be really honest there are a couple of Pet Shop Boys albums that I just haven't really listened to properly. 
Um, and this is one of them. So only in the lead up to this episode have I actually sat down and listened to it. And uh, it's a masterpiece. Let's get stuck in, shall we? Yes. So uh, side one, track one for this. And what a track to start with. Uh, and I think this is totally not what we've tried to do with this podcast. This is Being Boring. Because we were never being boring. We had too much time to find for ourselves. So that was being boring and should we say it's a 100th episode they really do set out their store for this album don't they with that sound and that real grandiose intro really does pave the way for what's to come on this collection it's such a generous in- intro and only the Petra boys could afford themselves such a long uh lead-in to the first track of the album but i think it does set the tone for what is a very different feel through this album because it's not all uh bops and bangers no, and there are hints of those in between, and I think it is 100% a Pet Shop Boys album. It's not as if it's a very different sound and it should have been released under a side project name or something like that. But yeah, very kind of quite chilled, quite loungy, much more soundtrack-like, quite atmospheric. Um, and it's worth pointing out at this point that the producer on this album is the producer throughout the album. And we're big fans of, um, well, we love both, actually. We love the more scattered approach of having different writing partnerships and producers for different tracks on an album uh, and bringing it all together but we also love it when it is written and produced by the artist and this one producer and I think the Petra Boys have really done a lot of that where they've um, and I just you know without gushing too much I've only had a glass and a half of uh, bubbly what did you have before you got here um, a bottle and a half. Yeah. Um, I was swinging around town on my bike, um, swinging London town. They are, they've done that to a T. So they've done, you know, they've had the Stuart Price trilogy of albums. They've worked with a lot of producers, you know, Xenomania they did a whole album with as well. Um, and, you know, back into the 80s, they've, they've really focused on Trevor Horn has been around on the scene mm. as well. But they like to stick with them and do a project and then move on. It's almost like that project is a time capsule, isn't it, for that time. And this this does feel very much Pet Shop Boys 1990, this whole sound. Um, and if you had lots for the people that were fashionable at the time in there as well, it wouldn't be the cohesive collection that we're talking about today. And you talk about it being an album of the time of 1990. I think this first track as well is um, you know, about growing up. Mm. And about how you do mature, maybe get a bit bit duller as you get older as well. Uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, Dan, I'm really conscious that we've been talking very seriously for about five minutes now. So shall we just make a joke about bodily functions or something? Um, this is a very different episode, <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> this one's going in the collection. This one's going into the... Um, it's going to go in one of those... What's it called? Those? Like the Blue Peter time capsule. Yes, and then it's going to come out a soppy sodden mess which is actually probably what it will come out like a bit like a a, a man's member after it's uh... <laughs> there we are <laughs> we're back <laughs> didn't take long loosen your tie 
So this song actually was um, at the time of release. This, of course, was a single, and this wasn't on the set list of a huge world tour that the Pet Shop Boys did. Not the Pet Shop Boys, that Pet Shop Boys did, not long after the album's release. And based on feedback from the fans, and in particular Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses, who, t- who saw them on tour, he couldn't believe that it wasn't in the set list, so they added it. Uh, and Neil and Chris said that it actually became one of the most popular songs of the night. Well, it's an iconic Pet Shop Boys track. And it's a great way to lead into an album that has a very different approach and different feel. Mm. And it's it's still a live favourite, isn't it? You've also got, um, just to call out to what's on the release, because this was was a single, uh, and it was um, the second single release, uh, which got to uh, number 20 in the singles charts. Uh, there was uh, there were some remixes of We Feel Be- We All Feel Better in the Dark, um, which was by Brothers in Rhythm. Ah, might be talking a bit more about them later on. Intriguing. Mm. Also on being boring uh, on guitar in this is uh, JJ Bell. Now JJ Bell sadly passed away in two thousand and four, but he worked on as a guitarist. He worked on tracks by the likes of Madonna. Grace Jones, Debbie Harry. Uh, so, of course, I include Pet Shop Boys in this when I say he worked with the greats. And uh, when he did pass away, Pet Shop Boys did say that they, that sorry, that JJ Bell helped them define their sound. But, Will, enough about what we've got to say about being boring because we have, as we mentioned before, we've got a few special guests who want to say something and celebrate Pet Shop Boys with us. So let's hear a little bit from Steve Harnell, who is the editor of Classic Pop, our favourite magazine, Let's hear what he's got to say about being boring. Steve Harnell here, editor of Classic Pop magazine. My favourite track on Behaviour is the opener, Being Boring. Firstly, I've got to say Harold Faltermeyer was an inspired choice of co-producer. I gather that Chris Neal wanted to draft him in for his knowledge of analogue synths. The production is superb. Lots of layered keyboards, a wriggling guitar line, and I particularly like those little washes of harp. And the nuances in the arrangement are matched by the detail in Neal's lyrics. It was a really personal song to him and one of his own favourites. It's a bold move to have a nylon seven minute open on a pop album, but it does pay off. Unsurprisingly, it got trimmed down by a couple of minutes for the single version though. At the end of the day, you've got to be impressed by the ambition of a song inspired by a quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife Zelda. She refused to be bored chiefly because she wasn't boring. I was always surprised that the song only made it to number 20 in the UK singles chart, to be honest. It deserved to go a lot higher than that. It's not just a highlight of behaviour. I think Being Boring is a career best track for the Pet Shop Boys. Okay, track two now. And this is This Must Be The Place I Waited Years To Leave. That track two there, This Must Be The Place I Waited Years To Leave. It's a very Pet Shop Boys title, isn't it? Yes, it's, uh, I guess, best described as a long-winded but very meaningful title. Mm. I think it does the track justice. And it also, for me, sums up, again, a feeling of growing up, moving on as well, in a very 
synthy pop way as well because you could describe this as almost as a kind of mid-tempo ballad definitely and it's got it definitely feels like it's got new sounds that weren't heard in the albums that came before this particularly in the album that did precede this introspective i think that was the one wasn't it um yes lots of bangers on that one and lots of kind of synth pop and i suppose it is it was a strange time because it was the turn of the decade wasn't it so i'm sure as neil and chris were getting ready for this album that i'd imagine that was on their minds they're going to be releasing this album in a brand new decade what does that sound like uh, and now we know, looking back 30 years later, well, this is what 1990 sounded like. Uh, it always, for me, feels like the Pet Shop Boys have their fingers firmly on the knob of kind of popular culture and musical culture as well. They seem to know what to, what to, how to record, um, who they may want to get into bed with and kind of what they want to get out of that. A bit like you and I, really, at this podcast. <laughs> Because um, if you think about it, at the, at, you know, back this year, you know, that was further work with Stuart Price because they still felt like they were had unfinished business and they wanted to do a third album for this trilogy. But then they did something with um, Ollie Alexander from Years and Years as yes. well, a very current artist, very prominent, outspoken um, LGBTQ plus uh, uh, advocate as well. And I think Dreamland as a track really spoke to that audience very overtly yeah and it, and it is just on sort of face value it's a banger isn't it it's a wonderful pop song it's contemporary uh, but it's classic Pet Shop Boys at the same time uh, and if we're lucky uh, let's have a little bit of it just because it's a hundred albums it's a It is really great to see where they are at now compared to 30 years ago with this album. Because they're both great. Like, if we think about this track or the first couple of tracks we've talked about and that one, they're both brilliant. In in very different ways as well. Mm, and both still fresh, but uh, but still feeling like they're from the time that they were recorded. Mm. Uh, so this must be the place I waited years to live. There's a very distinct sound, I would say, to the production of this one. It's very moody. Uh, with the sort of strings and the programming. And you could be, uh, you wouldn't be told off as, you wouldn't get your knuckles wrapped, I should say, or rasped or... Wrapped. Wrapped for thinking that it's quite David Lynchian, I particularly like some of his scores, because Angelo Badalamenti uh, arranged the orchestra for this one and he worked on Twin Peaks, amongst some other David Lynch scores. Well, that's easy for you to say. Well, it <laughs> really nearly wasn't. <laughs> Uh, and there's an old friend as well. It's worth talking about at this point, isn't there? Yes, friend of the podcast and friend of Pet Show Boys, Johnny Marr, playing guitar on this song. And we were lucky enough, we mentioned when the song was playing, we were lucky enough to see Johnny Marr live on stage with Pet Show Boys, weren't we? And I'd like to think that he would have made a guest appearance during their Glastonbury performance. Mm. Well, it may happen next year. And Will, I've got another little surprise for you, actually. Someone waiting in the wings. Oh, is it uh, Ollie Alexander? Oh, sadly not. He's, well, he's in the audience here, isn't he? So uh, can't be two places at once. 
Uh, it's a bit like it's a bit like uh, this is your life. We so we did reach out to Johnny Marr to hear about his memories and experiences of recording with Pet Shop Boys. So let's have a little listen to what Johnny had to say about this track now. When I came to work on Behaviour, I already knew Neil and Chris because we'd worked together on the first electronic album. There was a couple of songs that they wanted guitar on and um, they invited me to do it. So, of course, I was delighted. It's quite funny because when I got to the studio, there was some Pet Shop Boys fans outside, but I'd never actually seen fans outside a studio session before, which is a very pop thing. It's not really something rock fans do. This must be the place I've waited years to leave is such a beautiful track. Really interesting narrative, as usual. A very evocative story. Yeah, I loved it from the first moment I heard it. It's a fantastic song to play on. That was the first session I'd done with Pet Shop Boys, and I always say it's an event doing a Pet Shop Boys session. It's great that there's still a sense of occasion. The sessions are always fun and uh, entertaining. Not too serious, but uh, never entirely casual, and I, I like that. There was definitely a feeling of something big happening when we did that song. I thought so anyway. Maybe it's just the sound of the song, the way the song is. I didn't really anticipate that 30 years later I'd be playing it at the Albert Hall with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. That was a moment. I know it's become a real favourite of Pet Shop Boys fans and it's a real favourite of my fans too. It's one of my favourite things that I've ever done. Okay, so track three, this is To Face The Truth. Track three there, To Face the Truth. And even more so, Will, we've gone for a kind of a chilled, stripped-back, loungy sound on this one, haven't we? I know. it was. It's a bit more sombre, actually. It made me uh, drain my glass of bubbly and go and get a gin. Oh, I was going to say, if that was a hint that your glass is empty, then it's good you said that. Cause I well, didn't also, whilst, whilst you're up. Well, yeah. yeah, it's the right thing to do. It's a party. I'd love to know what synthesizer they're using for this as well. Um, that's creating that beat that kicks in at the start and then runs all the way through. Because uh, it feels like that sound has almost come right the background again. Definitely. I would have put my money on you saying you wanted to know the synth that creates the almost bird song sound that's in that. Because it's very atmospheric. And I know, well, you're a bit of a, a twitcher yourself, aren't you? You can probably tell me exactly what bird that is. Well, it's not a thrush or a chaffinch uh, or a tit or a shag. Oh. Um it might be a, a breast, uh, crested warbler. Oh, <laughs> certainly not a cock. I know that much for sure. I don't know as much about uh, birds as you do. No, or... I a... didn't have as much of an experimental phase as you did. <laughs> but on the song itself, I really do like how it does strip it back because I think Neil Tennant's lyrics in this one and his vocal, I think we're seeing a new side to him as well. I think the, I think the change in decade, I think the change in producer, I think the change in... The sound of the band has really affected how Neil's writing these lyrics. And I think it's almost, it had to be that the music was stripped back in order, in order for us to hear 
what he has to say. And Dan, um, there are obviously we've got further listening later, and again, it feels like the right time to, to reflect and say further listening came about uh, as part of the format of the podcast because the Pet Shop Boys would always have further listening on the re-releases of their albums, and we loved it as an idea for talking about more music by the same artist that isn't linked to an album. Um, suffice to say, we've got further listening relating to the specific further listening for behaviour, but. I think it's fair to say there's more further listening there than we've got space for that we would want to talk about. And you said further listening so much in that last minute, Will, that I think you might have some further further listening for us <laughs> right about now. So I want to throw in a bonus bonus track again, just because. Uh, so this is something we're not going to get a chance to talk about in further listening later, uh, but it's worth uh, mentioning now. So here's a little bit of Music for Boys Part 2 from the Further Listening for this album. So that was Music for Boys Part 2. If you want to listen to Music for Boys Part 1, uh, do check it out as well. That was a more chilled mix of it. But also, I love the fact it's quintessentially what a dance track was in the 90s. Uh, with the pianos and the synth beats in there, It's I'd like to think it sets the tone rather than is just what dance music was like in the 90s. I think it's a lot of the Pet Shop Boys work pioneers. Definitely. And of course, we've said it so many times about the Pet Shop Boys they love, and still to this day, they love to write and record and release B-sides, which just makes us love them even more, doesn't it? Absolutely, and plenty more to come. Mm. So, track number four, how can you expect to be taken seriously? So the mood has been picked up, the tempo has been picked up. Uh, that's how can you expect to be taken seriously. The one thing I love about this one, Will, is that the guitar on there, it's got a real funk to it. That's Neil Tennant on guitar. Wow. Yeah. He's got so many talents, hasn't he? And of course, we when we see him live, we see him singing and we see Chris on the keyboards. But of course, in the background, Neil does have a big hand in the keys and synths as well. Uh, this is, I love, it just, it feels more, compared to the first few tracks, it feels more like a American pop song would have done at the time. I'm thinking like Paula Abdul, Janet Jackson. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Um, just with that beat and the way it moves and you're kind of getting, you're moving. It's like you've been down your local discotheque, down the Ritzy. Yeah. It's, it's Do you ever just... go to a Ritzy? I think I might have done, maybe, if it's going to leave, ring the bell. Or maybe I'm thinking of Reflex. Is that the place which is the retro place? Yeah. So there, this was, of course, was a single, there was remixes of this song. And some of those remixes came from 
Brothers in Rhythm. Now, Brothers in Rhythm at the time were Steve Anderson and Dave Seaman. And Steve Anderson, of course, friend of the podcast. Dave Seaman, uh, Chelsea goalkeeper. Oh, I think that might be, I think you might be getting your Seamans mixed up. Oh, gosh. Um, I do, I, sorry, I, just, I do this uh, football podcast uh, on the side when we're not recording this. So I just sometimes get a little bit I think you should have, over. I think you should have told me about that before. No, it's fine. It's not a conflict of interest because it's football and pop music. Mm. Uh, who do you spot? Uh, Talkie United. <laughs> um, so Brothers in Rhythm remix. This song did a few remixes. And uh, we were lucky enough to be able to chat to Steve about this episode. And he sent us this note uh, about his memories of this track. Oh, great. Well, actually, Steve's a very busy man. He's in the studio at the minute. So... Today, if it's okay with you, the part of Steve Anderson will be played by Will Warren. We heard that Chris Lowe was a big fan of a club track we made called Peace and Harmony, but definitely weren't expecting to get the call for an official remix, as it was one of our very first. I remember when we got to the song, it felt like we wanted to make it into a kind of a Balearic chill-out version with pianos, strings and acoustic guitar solos on it, as that was very much in at the time. We were nervous as it meant changing so much about the original, but decided to go for it and remixed it at the Psalm West Studios, where we ended up doing nearly all of our productions, including later on with the Pet Shop Boys themselves. I really love the mood of this mix and will forever be so grateful to Neil and Chris for giving us the most incredible break, especially as we were then and still are huge fans of theirs. Well read there, Will, actually. And kudos to you for learning the lines off by heart as well and not just reading it out. I don't know if you're being sarcastic there or not. Well, I just assume you are because default position. Nothing if not nothing. In the UK, this was a big hit single. I got to number four on the charts. It was a double A side. Remember the double A side single? Oh, the, old, the good old days. Heartbreak and Tragedy. Yeah, oh, that was like, because it was the best of both worlds. It was the big ballad and it was the big, the big banger. And the fact that it was a cover as well was even better. Yes, yes, we've done all that. <laughs> Do check out our Steps episode. <laughs> uh, this was a double A side with uh, Where the Streets Have No Name, brackets, Can't Take My Eyes Off You. And if we're lucky, let's have a bit. I have to confess something now, don't I, Will? Yes, you do. And it, it's really difficult to do this on an episode that is such a big celebration, but I feel that I have to get it out there. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Petra Boys. That is, no one can take that away from me. I love them. 
But, and what I don't think I've ever spoke about this in the podcast before, but I'm also a huge fan of U2. They are one of my favorite bands of all time. So when I first heard this song, and maybe the first few times I heard this song, I really didn't like it. Because it's almost like one of those situations where never the twain shall meet. And it just didn't feel right. And I can't imagine a situation where U2 covering Pet Shop Boys would have felt right. But a lot of time has passed since then. And I'm now listening to this as a Pet Shop Boys song. And I love it. I really love it. I'm so glad you say that, Dan. Because I remember the first time we talked about this song together. And it was years ago now. And I remember you saying you didn't like it. And I actually was disappointed at in not not in you just in just disappointed not upset just disappointed you actually walked away didn't you and sort of had to have a moment yeah yourself. i wasn't disappointed just angry <laughs> you went you punched, punched the wall, the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because i've seen you do that so many times it's uh, uh and you can see my knuckles are red raw well i can't because you've got those knuckle duster rings on just in case things get a bit tasty our invited guests are getting a bit leery champagne we've provided for them why have they got champagne and we've got father uh we've got uh, it's uh, a selected audience of people that might be influential in the future so on backing vocals on where the streets have no name brackets i can't take my eyes off you is tessa niles now tessa is uh, a background vocalist uh, singer who has just worked with so many of the, the biggest names in the world. Her name always stands out to me because, of course, I'm a huge fan of Duran Duran. And she's done a lot of work on their Here albums. Here we go. I'm sorry, I have to bring them up. Uh, but she's worked with Robbie Williams. She's worked with Tears for Fears. She's worked with Take That. She worked with Paul McCartney. Like, literally anyone you can think of, Tessa Niles, has, has sung with them. Uh, cheeky Girls. Uh, not Cheeky Girls. Rachel Stevens. Mm, no so we were lucky enough to speak to tessa and we asked her about her memories of recording this song and just recording with petra boys and this is what she had to say about that it's fair to say it was always an adventure working with neil and chris i don't remember a time where i wasn't challenged by them in the studio to do something uh you know very very different with the vocals um and how typical of them to kind of come up with this incongruous pairing of two different songs. You know, the upbeat, optimistic lyric of Can't Take My Eyes Off You, coupled with the despairing plea for a way out of a bleak scenario that is where the streets have no name. I can only imagine the uh, opinions and the negative opinions that were flying around uh, at the time this idea came to came about um, that you know this will never work it's a it's a weird combo why would you do it but of course that was the nature of the pet shop boys very often they would come up with odd choices brave choices um, making them oh so different you know uh, the symphonic electro cocktail that was them uh, was uniquely them um, and the dark and the light of these two different tracks that they seamlessly put together using very lush backing vocals. I remember uh, specifically how layered and um, and how in-depth they wanted the backing vocals to be. So, yeah, I just had the most extraordinary time working with them and was always challenged. So thank you to Tessa. It's so amazing to hear about working with Petra Boys. Of course, that is... That's the dream one day, isn't it, Will? 
Uh, we'd love... Uh, do you know, imagine doing a track-by-track track to a Pet Shop Boys album with the Pet Shop Boys. Uh, that, yeah, that'd be incredible. And it is worth pointing out that you'd think working with so many greats in the studio on the stage, Tessa must have quite a few stories to tell. Well, she does, and she's put them in a book. So Backtrack is her memoirs that she released a few years ago. And I've, I've just found out about it, to be honest with you. And I can't wait to hear about what happened behind the scenes. What are the stories of those great names that we haven't heard? Uh, do you know what, Dan? Whilst you were talking, I just ordered it on Amazon. Really? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I really want to really hear more because uh, I think she's got a lot to share. Uh, so thank you to Tessa. And it's time to move on. So on to the next track now, which is track number five now. And this is what you said, Dan, uh, when you uh, emerged from the toilet after about 20 minutes when you were suffering from some very serious constipation. Only the wind. It's only the wind They say it's getting worse The trouble that it brings Haunts us like a curse My nerves are all jangled But I'm pulling through I hope I can handle What I have to do only the wind there and uh, you're not wrong will because uh, i know you was thinking that is once again angelo badalamenti uh, conducting and composing on that track what a great time to have a fantastic album artwork really and i'm only doing this now because i really like this track i love the whole album but this is probably the best chance i'm going to get to do this so i'm just going to do this now it's a white background in the middle we've got four uh, squares uh, in one, you've got both of the boys holding big bunches of roses. Uh, in another, you've got Neil's face. In another, you've got the back of Chris's head. And in another, you've got uh, an empty chair with the, the pile of roses that, that they were both holding. With behaviour and a full stop and Pet Shop Boys underneath in a very standard font. Worth pointing out as well that this was done by Farrow Design, who have done a lot of uh, Pet Shop Boys albums, including uh, Super from a few years ago. And uh, they've also worked with bands like Spiritualized, and they did one of our favorites, Will, an album we did last year, uh, Kylie's Light Is, which is a oh, really? iconic it is. image, isn't it? Oh, they're very good at what they do. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, and well done. Uh, the track itself is a lovely, I guess, mid album. It's a lovely moment of reflection. Yeah, it is. And I. Once again, I love how the lyrics shine through. And there's a particular lyric I love in this one because it's so Pet Shop Boys. It's poignant, yet it's re- it's realistic. And it's that someone's dustbin lid playing havoc with the street. <laughs> I just love that because it comes in between so many other more dreamlike, actually quite beautiful lyrics. I do wonder, though, did they re-record that and say someone's trash can lid? For the American audience. But what I like about this, Will, musically... Musically! Is it's so chilled out. You've got the lovely Alexander there on composition. But you've also got those synth stabs that make it very Pet Shop Boys. Uh, almost feels a little bit like a companion piece to Only the Dark from Hotspot. Well, and I wouldn't put it past them to do a throwback of 30 years. Track number six now, uh, My October Symphony. Shall I revise or revise my October symphony? Or as an indication 
October Symphony there and once again you could probably tell because it's a very iconic sound that was Johnny Marr on guitar. Well that rhymes. I didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> uh, only the Pet Shop Boys could record a dance track it's about the decline of the Soviet Union which is what this track is actually about. Is it really? Yeah. Oh I didn't know that and there's some wonderful string work on this track and that is courtesy of Alexander Balensku and apo- apologies uh, Alexander for pronunciation there. Um, of the Belenscu Quartet. Now, Alexander is from Romania, and he has written uh, and composed pieces for the likes of Goldfrap, Grace Jones, and Spiritualized. So, uh, certainly our cup of tea. Oh, yes, absolutely. And Alexander's relationship with the Pet Shop Boys would continue as the quartet would support the band on tour. So, Will, do you fancy hearing a few memories from Alexander himself? Dan, I'd love to. I recall... A wonderful experience in the early 1990s when we were invited by the Pet Shop Boys to support them on the UK tour. And uh, that was and remains one of the highlights of our career as Balanescu Quartet. I must confess I was a little bit afraid sometimes to play to uh, these devoted fans uh, But uh, uh, we went down really well. As a uh, consequence of this tour, uh, I think some weeks later, I was approached by Neil again uh, with the idea to make an arrangement of a track they were working on for their behavior album uh, entitled October Symphony which was uh, uh, inspired by Shostakovich, the great Russian uh, contemporary composer. I remember uh, we recorded at uh, Abbey Road Studios, which I love. As Chris and Neil came in, came in at uh, 10 o'clock, as we had planned, I was still writing parts. Uh, remem- I remember the score was uh, spread on the floor. In those days, we didn't have We didn't write with, at least I didn't write with computers. Uh, It was pen and paper and there were all the the score and the parts spread out on the floor. They uh, took my arrangement, which was uh, uh, much more elaborate than uh, what ended up on the final mix. And then they mixed it beautifully and uh, I loved the idea of... uh, the quartet kind of emerging from the track and taking over at the end. Oh, that was wonderful to hear. And this track is great because it's not overtly a banger, but there's so much to enjoy, so much going on, and a bit of dance into that as well. And I did say I wasn't going to mention house music, didn't I? I said I was going to have two weeks off, but I have to say it here because it just adds to this wonderful song. And you mentioned Jay Henry. Yep. Uh, we actually got um, just some reflections uh, as well on from him on this. As, um, and I thought it would be great to hear a little bit from him. We're sorry, the number you have reached is not in service. Please check the number or try your call again. This is a recording. 
sorry, Will, there's been a actually crosswise there. We've got some thoughts on this song from friend of the podcast and a fantastic singer-songwriter in his own right, Bright Light, Bright Light. This, when we approached him to ask if he'd be happy to contribute to this, he said this is his favourite Pet Shop Boys album uh, and this is his favourite song from it. So let's find out why. When you're touring in the UK, it tends to be sort of March, April time or September, October, November time. And I remember when I first started touring, I was so excited because I would let myself listen to Behaviour by the Pet Shop Boys on loop uh, when we were touring in the autumn. Because for me, it really is the most perfect autumnal soundtrack. Um, I love so much about the record, but My October Symphony is by far my favourite song on the album. Um, Just everything about it, the production, the arrangement, the strings, the vocals just it's like it's just so unique and it's so dreamy um in their catalog i think being boring and my october symphony are my favorites um of the pet shop boys in general but my october symphony is just like being boring's more gorgeous wistful cousin um everything about it like the the choral chant at the start and the incredible strings that finish it the live versions that i've seen i just think it's the most incredible song and Dan, this next track is where you're going to be expecting me to say something crude about you and the boy from the chip shop. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say this is a fantastic song. This is so hard. I could say, tell me why don't we try not to break our hearts and make it so hard for ourselves? Why don't we try? That's my second favourite song on the album. Second? Never heard your first yet? No. Oh, okay. And it's going to surprise you. It's going to be a ballad, isn't it? Uh, Or ballad-esque. Don't let the dog out of the trap too too early. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, I love this because this is everything that I love about the Pet Shop Boys wrapped up into a just under four-minute track. You've You've got the melancholy lyrics. You've got Neil's voice. You've got the grandiose production. You've got some killer hooks in there. And I'm talking about the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. So this is, uh, for me, a perfect Pet Shop Boys song. Also on the single release, because this was a single. Uh, so this is the first single off to launch Behaviour. And I think it's a great way... Uh, to launch a new album not necessarily reflective of the style of the rest of the album but very much the Pet Shop Boys themselves um, I mean it did really well we got to number four in the UK singles chart uh, but also there's a whole brace of remixes and I've really been getting into the KLF again recently mm. so much so I went uh, ferreting around on eBay to find uh, some of their work and as a result uh, we are going to be talking about the KLF very soon on Track by Track um, and if you want to follow along on Spotify, well, tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> because they famously deleted their back catalogue. So you do have to buy a CD from uh, eBay uh, or other uh, retailers. So the KLF did a remix of So Hard, and it's very much in keeping with both Pet Shop Boys and the KLF.
So, as with the KLF and their production, they've thrown everything in the kitchen sink into that remix, uh, and I love it. It's a bit harder, uh, it's a bit more, very much more dance of a dance track, um, but I think very much of its time as well, the KLF and the Pet Shop Boys together. Uh, and the KLF, uh, not to spoil too much of the inevitable episode we're going to do uh, soon, the KLF were very much inspired by uh, the Pet Shop Boys uh, and really respected them despite a very cynical view on the, uh, the world, the music industry. Um, and in fact, one of their first releases was a track they created to sound like the Pet Shop Boys in order to gain chart success. You've said too much. I've been doing a lot of reading. <laughs> no, not really. Um, it's, I'm looking forward to the episode because I don't know a lot about the KLF, so it's going to be a real uh, education for me, actually. Well, pick a band other than Duran Duran that you do know a lot about. Uh steps <laughs> um <laughs> this song that i love how on this album so hard it sounds so futuristic when you compare it to everything that's come before it um and weirdly that is in a way because they created this wanting to sound like georgia Moroda, who of course came way before them so it's a bit of a juxtaposition if you will and we have to get that in there for the 100th episode um but one of the stories I love about this song is that, of course, there was a KLF remix. There was lots of remixes of this song, including one by David Morales. And um, Frankie Knuckles was playing the David Morales remix in Los Angeles, uh, a club where Neil and Chris were. And while the song was playing, Neil went over to Chris and said, why don't we make records like this? Not realizing that it was a remix of his own song. So um, Chris's reply to that was, that's how much we know about dance music insinuating that they know nothing about it when really they are but they are dance music without knowing it they're pioneers and paving the way of it so uh yeah great little great little anecdote that, pop fact yeah that, uh, and i was there in that club with them it's a great night track number eight now this is nervously i spoke too fast with watchful eyes of a recent past and some Surprise, we don't talk of love. We're much too shy, but now we wonder when and smile, knowing why I want a beautiful track. I thought you were gonna talk about the album artwork. Well, I've done that, I know. <laughs> This is a stunning song. And as I said earlier, what something I love about this album is how some of these songs really focus on Neil's songwriting and his vocal. And there's still so much going on in the background, but it's it's taken a back seat. Uh, so nervously, I love the lyrics, uh, particularly uh, a nervous boy from another town with a nervous laugh and a concentrated frown. I spoke too fast with watchful eyes of a recent past and some nostalgic surprise. What could he be referring to? Mm. We'll never know. I mean, that's just the sort of intrigue and melancholy that are just... It keeps you coming back, doesn't it? Because the interpretation, the reading you take from that could be very different. Definitely. And I do want to point out, actually, something that I love... Just another thing, Will, that I love about the Pet Shop Boys. On their website, they have all of their lyrics on there. So, you know, some, some acts are a bit coy and a bit shy about their lyrics and they don't even put them in the CD inlay if that's still a thing anymore. 
but with Pet Shop Boys, and of course, Neil released the book a few years ago, uh, 100 Lyrics in a Poem, but you can find them all on there, and they are all poetry. So, track number nine now, the penultimate track on the album. This is The End of the World. And it wasn't at all because what a great track. It's great, isn't it? It f- Again, it fits in perfectly with the album, but this one just has a little bit more of a sort of dipping a toe into the house music scene, I think, which was very prevalent at the time. Uh, and the beats, it's a real sort of great percussion in this one that I like. Absolutely. And it's, it's on this album, even one of the most upbeat of tracks can still sound more reflective as well. And I think what I love about this one, and I've said the word already today, but I'll say it again, the juxtaposition of that, the programming of the track from Chris, or probably mainly from Chris, but then Neil's vocals really quite dreamy and smooth and almost it's it's the two different things, but they they fit together perfectly. And I just think it's it's a, it's a perfect penultimate track, actually. Just a word before we go into the final track about the reception of this album. It was unanimously positive. Apart from Enemy that gave it 6 out of 10. Who? Exactly. Mm. Uh, but no, we, Q gave it 4 out of 5. Uh, Rolling Stone gave it 4.5 out of 5. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it, eight, a, gave it an A+. Plus. Uh, and on the UK album chart, it did brilliantly and got to number 2 as well. Um, 300,000 copies sold. It's interesting because I think of this album as being when Pet Shop Boys were really, I want to say established. And, and, you know, they were established, but that was then, that was four albums in. If we look at them now, as I said before, they are pioneers of synth pop and pop and dance and so many things. And looking back, it seems very obvious, but looking back, this is one of their earlier albums. Uh, and it was it's just so mature. It was so well received. They'd established themselves yeah, I'm 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 thrilled we're talking about it today, Will. Dan, are we are we too close to the Petra Boys to be objective? I don't think so because we haven't done Elysium yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, not said. Uh, this was also featured in uh, uh, a Thousand and One Albums You Must Hear Before You Die book as well. Oh. I think I've got that tucked away somewhere. Have you? I think it was a stocking filler. So we're on to the last track of the album and we've certainly saved a jewel for the last track. This is Jealousy. C for 
Will, I don't mind oversharing, arguably, with the listeners there. Got a little bit emotional with that one. Got a little bit into it. Dan, I know what you mean. I got so moved listening to this track one time that I had to call up Pickford's afterwards and cancelled the booking that I made for uh, house clearance. Are you serious? I know. It was just took me away. Um, now, I may be joking a little bit, but this song is my favourite song on the album. And I know what you're thinking, Dan, and don't write in as well. It's a ballad. It's a slower song. But actually... It's, I've never heard a track encapsulate so well the feelings and the emotions of jealousy, mm. uh, sets it to music and then puts it onto a CD. Uh, and Dan, that last minute or so is just phenomenal. It's the, I was going to say it's the most grandiose Pet Boys have ever been. I don't think it's actually, but I think at the time it probably was. And the fact that it closed the album rather than just appearing midway through or at the beginning made it even more so it was it was the closing statement of behavior uh and it's just so and again i've got goosebumps just thinking about that moment it's one that i would love to see live with an orchestra um but i knew you'd like this song will because of the list of questions about the song and i know you love a list and yes. these these are things you've said to me as well if i if i meant to be recording and i'm five minutes late to your house you always say to me where have you been who have you seen why didn't you phone when you said you would? Do you lie? Do you try to keep in touch? You know you could. Um, you get at me a little bit. Oh, well, it's probably not the time for uh, uh, raw feedback like that, but uh, message received. Uh, the B-side to this was uh, a demo version of Losing My Mind, which is the song that the Petra Boys produced for Liza Minnelli for her album Results back in 1989. And... I don't think we've ever talked about Liza Minnelli on the podcast before. I don't think her name's been mentioned. And actually, I'm going to do an If We're Lucky, but I'm not going to do it for the B-side. I'm going to do it for the actual final Liza version. So here is Losing My Mind. Something Spend sleepless nights to think about you. You said you loved me, or were you just being kind? Or am I losing? Losing my mind. Just seeing us out there, uh, a little bit of Losing My Mind by Liza Minnelli, produced by Pet Shop Boys. And Dan, if you didn't know it was produced by the Pet Shop Boys, would you be able to tell? I think I'd be able to have a very good guess. <laughs> um, of course, we've got Liza is here with us in our special uh, studio audience today. Oh, I know, it was our guest. She's got a head in her hand. She's a little bit embarrassed. Poor Robert Downey Jr. is comforting her. Hello. I'd love to hear them uh, around a grand piano one time. Well, if we're lucky... Well, at the after party, probably won't get recorded. Getting a bit raucous over there now, Dan, though. Yeah, well... Um... Oh, I think I just see, uh, with a tray of tequila shots, he's got the salt and the lime as well. John Congleton's just walked in. Oh, the love... That's his daughter with him as well. Prism. <laughs> but I do love that Liza track. Um... Well, like, what? can I be really honest with you? First time I've ever heard it. <laughs> you were going to say that. Any money on you saying that? I uh, don't like music. I've tried to make that quite clear, Will, over the last 100 episodes. But we should probably put the Liza Results album, which is what that track comes from, uh, on the long list. 
Right, so that is the end of the album. No, um, it's not, Dan, because I've got one more thing to squeeze in because uh, this is from 1990. One of my favourite, uh, other favourite acts from the 90s. Well, I had a, quite a few, actually. Mm. Uh, Dubstar did a cover of Jealousy. So I'd love to shoehorn that into the end of this episode as well. Now let's get my literal shoehorn. Where have you been? Who have you seen? You didn't phone when you said you would. Do you lie? Do you try to keep in touch? You know you could. I tried to see your point of view, but could not hear or speak for jealousy. I've never known. Time passed so slow. I wish I'd never met you. So a little bit of Dubstar there doing Jealousy. Dubstar, of course, are a great act from... That was from 1997, that cover. Dubstar are uh, Sarah Blackwood, Chris Wilkie, uh, and formerly John Kirby, Steve Healy, and Graham Robinson. Robinson. Uh, And if you want to check out some of Dubstar's previous work, just listen to it all, for goodness sake. Especially Stars and Not So Manic Now. Uh, Well, I've got a little surprise for you, actually. They're here tonight. No, well, that's for, again, that's for the after party. We can't put that live. We reached out to Dubstar on your behalf, me and the rest of the Track by Track team as a little uh, 100th episode prezi for you. Uh, We asked them about their take on the song. uh, And this is what they had to say about that. But yeah, I mean, do you remember remember, um, how we ended up doing this one, Sarah? Because if if I remember rightly, I think the EMI was doing a campaign to uh, promote the, what was their centenary year in 1997. It was an album of cover versions, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah they, they wanted their current roster of artists to uh, cover classic songs from the EMI catalogue. It seemed obvious for us to do a Jealousy, you know, since Petro Boys were our closest um, comparison in terms of the type of songs. Um, and yeah, that, 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 yeah that, that song was supposed to be the first one that Neil and Chris wrote together. So it has a special place in, in the folklore with uh, fans of the Pet Shop Boys. And obviously dealing with uh, those kind of subject matters was something we already did. I remember um, it being done very, very fast because I was, I, I was on a, some sort of, uh, it, it was done on Valentine's Day. We did it on a Valentine's Day. And I think it was, and, well, it, it, it was tacked on, maybe it was tacked on to the end of the tour. And I hadn't yeah. seen my boyfriend in ages and I wanted to go back and spend Valentine's Day with my boyfriend at the time, who was in Manchester. I was just talking to Stephen Haig about, um, about the fact that we were going to do this, you know, because apparently, you know, the myth has it that they wanted to record Jealousy on the first two or three albums. Oh, um, but they wanted Ennio Morricone to do the string arrangement and couldn't get hold of him. So they just kept, even though it was like their earliest song, you know, earliest composition between the two of them. They just had to keep kicking it down the road until they could get hold of Ennio Morricone. And I think by the time Behaviour came along, they ran out of patience and just wanted to record it, you know, because I, so I was asking Stephen, like, if he could remember it coming up uh, um, previously, but he, he couldn't. He remembered that they wanted to do it to sin on Please and then didn't get around to it until actually. Yeah, I don't, you know, the jealousy thing's kind of its own little saga. I remember meeting them. Um, I was invited to the premiere of Control the Joy Division film. And I ended up sitting next to Neil and Chris. And so Neil turns to me and goes, so Sarah, what, what, what are you up to these days? I went, oh, I'm in a bank called Client. And I went, ooh, ooh, that's a good name. Hear that, Chris? Ooh. 
And I said, we're, we're, we're on tour with Depeche Mode at the moment. I said, they took us on the jet and he turned and went, oh, Chris, do you hear that? Depeche Mode, yes. <laughs> it was so brilliant. And then I remember making a complete and absolute fool of myself because when, when, um, when Ian died and, and they had the, the sort of funeral parade and they had... In the movie, uh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had new, new Dawn Fades as a sort of montage and I was yeah, crying yeah. hysterically and I just remember thinking I'm sat next to Neil Tennant and I'm weeping like, yeah. So we're at the end of the album proper, but as inspired by the Pet Shop Boys themselves, we've got further listening. And Dan, this further listening is very clear. It's it's OG further listening. It is from the further listening of this album. So I'd love for you to go first. Thank you, Will. So, Will, this was the B-side to So Hard. This one is It Must Be Obvious. So that was, it must be obvious. The thing I really like about that one, Will, is that that could quite easily have been a single, I think. Yeah, and I, it, it's a further thought on from that is that a lot of the further listening to this is more uplifting, more uh, with a faster pace and a bigger beat to it. Uh, and it must be obvious, feels like a classic Pet Shop Boys track, but not necessarily in keeping, apart from So Hard, maybe with the singles from this album. Definitely, yeah. It fits, it fits with so hard. And this one actually wasn't uh, produced by the album's producer. This was just produced by Pet Shop Boys. But it's got their sound all over it, particularly the percussion that kind of lifts and builds as the track goes on. Um, and on some of the versions of the single, some of the 12 inches and the like, you can actually get remixes of this song as well. Uh, but Will, what have you got for further listening? Uh, I've gone for a classic B-side. Uh, and this is Bet She's Not Your Girl. Again, Dan, I love the fact with the Pet Shop Boys B-sides, uh, they could be album tracks or singles in their own right. And this is one that I still listen to quite regularly. That uh, alongside uh, I Want a Dog, which is very good as well. Um, and Music for Boys. Yes. Mm. What I love about this is that obviously it appeared on the double A side, How Can You Expect to Be Taken Seriously and Where the Streets Have No Name can't take my eyes off you so not only did you get the where the streets have no name brand new track but then you also got this brand new b-side as well they are nothing if not generous and they continue to do so as well uh from april uh and the last uh single that came out for i don't wanna they had a b-side called new boy which again was a very high standard it just i think the b-side just allowed them to be a little bit more experimental not that they're not usually anyway Dan, we're out of time. Oh, just as <laughs> Patsy Palmer and Jesse Wallace have just turned up to the party. 
they're hobbling around. Apparently, I heard that Jessie Wallace just tried to go into the gents. By mistake? Or? No, she knew exactly what she was oh doing. God, that's it again. Uh, so I think we better go and deal with the rabble. Uh, but Dan, can I ask you a question before we finish? Yes, please do. After doing 100 albums, uh, what are you, the main reflections you take away from having talked about 100 albums and Lord knows what else over the last year or so? The biggest takeaway for me after 100 albums is that Rachel Stevens' Come and Get It is not all that bad. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I think for me, it's um, even if you don't like or know an album very well, uh, just make rude jokes uh, <laughs> and the episode will be fine. A bit of smut goes a long way. Uh, and Dan, what about, can you think of all the stuff that hasn't made it into the final episode? Uh, we wouldn't still be on air, Will, if that had gotten out. And there's a policeman at the door now. Uh, I don't nope. know, it might be a stripper. That is a stripper I've organised <laughs> for you. It might be arresting you for some of the comments you made uh, in previous weeks. Or just during this episode that won't see the light of day. <laughs> so... We hope you enjoyed our 100th album on Track by Track uh, with Pet Shop Boys, Behaviour. If you did, it'd be great to hear what your thoughts are at Track by Track UK. Again, it'd be great to hear your favourite episodes from the last 100 albums and beyond. Uh, and also, are you one of the 100 Club, where you've now listened to all 100 episodes? I'm not in that club, sadly. I'll tell you who else isn't in the club. Who? Uh, Jessie Wallace. No, she's not. She's just like the Girls Aloud episode. She's in the Caravan Club. Oh, and the Mile High Club. In a caravan. <laughs> um, don't forget that we are back as well every Saturday with a new music drop where we're celebrating new music. And Dan, can you give us a hint of a tease as to who is the 101st uh, artist we're going to be talking about their album? Well, we are, we're celebrating 30 years of another album by another band who we spoke about many times before. In fact, after our first ever episode, which was Pet Shop Boys, our second ever episode was on this band, who I talk about nearly every episode. Uh, you've already said too much, because you just have to scroll back through the list. But uh, we'll be back for another 100. Hopefully. And um, <laughs> before we go, I just want to say a massive thank you to all of the people who contributed to the episode, all of the people who worked on Behaviour, and fellow fans of Pet Shop Boys. And also a huge thank you, I guess now we're almost at the other side, for everyone that joined in uh, with us during our summer tweet-alongs, whether you're an artist who got involved or uh, uh, anyone else on Twitter uh, who's into those acts uh, and following us, thank you for your involvement with that. That was uh, a little shining moment through what was not a lovely time. Hmm. Quite right, what a lovely, what a poignant moment, Will. Right, we've got an after party to get to. Yes, the rabble. We think we need to go and restrain Patsy Palmer because I think she's making eyes at Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I thought that was Pam St. Clement. Oh, and Sean Williamson's just walked in as well. Oh, he's not on the list. We better go and get rid of him. Oh, he'll, he'll turn up to anything, even a track-by-track track 100 party. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you again at the weekend and next week for uh, album 101. And until then, I've been Neil Tennant. And I've been Chris Lowe. Goodbye.
I did it my way. Oh, Robson and Jerome. Oh.